making sure that you're doing it for you. Um, and that's been a very big theme that a lot of people that are in the sport and or doing whatever in their lives and they're failing at it or they don't want to do the work, it's because they're not doing it for them. They're doing it from an out, outside pressure. Welcome to the Blue Rose Podcast, your dose of confidence to live a bold life. Here I share insights from my own journey and dive into the stories of individuals in the outdoors and athletics who are fiercely getting after life. Let's build a community and be bold, babe. I'm your host, Becca Blue Rose. Olivia, do you remember the first time that you rode a bike? Um, I can't say ride a bike, race a bike, I do remember. I rode a bike for the first time at probably like three years old, so I don't really remember that. (laughs) Okay, so then tell me about the first time that you raced a bike. So it was actually kind of funny because it was something that I was super scared of. Like I did not, I went out to the BMX track because my brother was racing. He's seven years older than me. Um, So I kind of like grew up with the BMX track and I was like, this is cool and fun. But my mom like ran like the snack shack and I would just like sit there and eat candy all day and like thought that was cool. And then my brother was like, come on, like you should race. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know about that. Um, And finally, they convinced me to ride the full track. And I was like, this is so cool. And I raced my first race and I'm pretty sure I got beat like so bad, but I thought it was so cool that I got a little ribbon and whatever, but it was like a big fear at first. And then once I got over that little hump, then I kept racing since. Was there like in that race that you did, were you racing against girls or boys? Yeah. So at a younger age, they're all mixed together. So it's just like whatever age you are and like boys, girls, doesn't matter. Oh, okay. Okay. Was there, like, something that was, like, oh, I, I, like, a conscious decision to be, like, this is what I want to do, I want to keep doing this? Or was it something that you just kept being, like, oh, this is cool, I'm going to keep doing it, and, like, it kind of just progressed over time? It's something that I think was just, like, cool and fun, and that BMX is super awesome because it's just, like, an individual sport, but it's a team sport as well. So at a younger age, I was on a team, um, but you race your race for you, right? Um, and so I liked hanging out with everybody and all of that, but I stayed pretty much doing local stuff all the way until I was like 16. And then after that is when I started to progress into the higher races. So I pretty much did it for fun until like 16. And then I went up from there. But when you were 16, that's when you got your world championship title, correct? Yes. Yes. So it it like hit fast. (laughs) Okay, so, like, was it not intentional for that to happen? That just happened? It was intentional, but... So, when I was actually 14 is when I started going to, like, the national races, and I started racing that. Through my first year, I was only one point away from winning the national title, which that was a surprise. Like, I went to the races, and I was like, this is cool, I'm winning some races. Like, I don't know. And then at the finals, the points are double-weighted, so they're worth double, and I won the race and they're like, oh, you, you only lost by one point for the complete national title for all the women in the U.S. And I was like, wow, that's cool. And so the next year I came back with a little bit more fire because I was like, this is like totally doable. And I won the national title that year. And then I won the world title the next year. Okay. Okay. And so in BMX, like, I just don't know this for sure, but, like, when do people start to see success? Because I know that, like, in some sports, it's more common to see more success early teens, later teens, adults. So, like, when is that for BMX? Yeah, so BMX is kind of crazy because you can race from, like, two years old up till, like, 60 plus. Like, there's a class for every age group. Um And so you can hit success really fast because each of the age groups has a national title that they can race for. Um, So there's little seven and eight year olds that are winning their national age group titles and they're super successful. Um, And then I would say that when you're like 15, 16, that's when it's really like the crunch time is when most athletes are kind of hitting the peak. And then once you're 18, you can turn pro. So right before you turn pro is when you kind of hit the peak for amateur and then you turn pro and kind of go up from there. Okay, and so you were pro the whole time you were at college. I was not. Um, the first the first year that I was in school, I was still amateur, and then I turned pro. I turned at 19, but just a personal decision. Oh, right, right, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
so you had success at like 16. I want to know maybe like how your idea of success has changed since then. And then also as a female athlete, how does that work? If like, you know, your body changes a lot or like everything changes so much. So like, do you think that you like had this like lull period or like, was it straight and narrow? Like you hit 16 and then you just kept going up. Yeah. Um, it's kind of an interesting story. So when, like I said, from like four years old up until like 13, 14, 15, 16, those years it was just for fun and I didn't really take like an athletic perspective to it it was just like riding a bike um and then when I hit like 13 14 I knew that I had natural talent and ability but I needed something else and so I really started focusing on my nutrition and working out and actually like doing athletic stuff behind the scenes instead of just going and riding my bike um and that really helped me propel forward and so I feel like with that my 16 until I turned pro I pretty much won everything because I was so dedicated and determined to like get it done so my success I wouldn't say it came easy but I knew what I needed to do to be successful um and then when you turn pro it's just like a brick wall like you have so much to learn like you go on so confident because you've been winning all of these things and then you're against these girls that this is their job to do this and they live and breathe bmx so the first year turning pro my success level was like okay my goal is just to make it to the final or like hey i had a great race today even though i didn't make the final that was my success right um, and it really came from just taking like the little wins to kind of build up. And then halfway through my rookie pro season, I did get a win in the elite class. And that was like top success. That's always the goal for that, right? Um, and so it's just constantly having those little wins to kind of build up to the, the big one, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so then you you broke your collarbone twice this year? Like Yes. Okay. So then did you have any injuries leading up to like where you are in this year or were these your first two? Cause I didn't realize that BMX is considered a contact sport, Yeah. <laughs> which like, I like, it makes sense now that I was like watching a little bit. Cause it's not something that I, you know, watch a ton mm-hmm. and I'm like, some of the crashes are really intense. Yeah. It's, it's, it's insane. I, from the last, um, doctor, he told me, yeah, so we're going to follow full, like, protocol for impact sports. I said, okay, got it. <laughs> um, okay. But, yeah, my story, I don't know if I just was super lucky through my years, but this year was the first time I broke a bone ever in my life. And, like, BMX is a tough sport, and you hit the ground a lot. Um, but I broke my fingers and then my collarbone in March-ish area, and then I rebroke my collarbone in September. So that was definitely a big mental, like, step back and kind of check in. Um, I would say this is probably one of the toughest years I've had, but also the the one that I've grown the most in. So take it what you can. But so, okay, so you broke it in March. Takes, like, how many many weeks can you not be on a bike for for it to heal? Yeah, so the first one in March was actually – the collarbone was broken, but the main focus was my fingers. Like, I had, like, pins in my fingers. I had a stitch through my fingernail. Like, it was – it was gross. Um, never thought my fingers would be the thing holding me back from riding my bike, but it was. <laughs> um, and so that took the longest because I had to be able to like actually grip something. And I didn't realize how fast your grip strength is lost. Um, and so that was a good three and a half months that was just trying to get recovered and gain the strength back. Um, I went through surgery for my fingers, and then for the second collarbone, I went for surgery with that as well. Okay, and so then I'm imagining that after an accident like that, it's not super easy to get back on a bike. So talk to me about like your first time getting back on a bike after you got hurt. So kind of the reverse in that, we have two different kinds of tracks that we race on in BMX. One is a normal one that the, all the kids and all age groups race off, off of, and that hill is like three meters high, five meters high. Um, and then the other one is the one that they race in the Olympics, and that's eight meters tall. So it's like three stories tall. Um, and then you get to the bottom and you hit a big like 40 foot jump. So 
when I broke my fingers and my collarbone the first time, it was off of the Supercross Hill. And so there was a fear behind that. Um, so it really wasn't super scary, like getting back on my bike and riding a normal track because it kind of disassociated. Like I crashed on the Supercross Hill, then it's just like a normal bike. Um, so I took some good time to like really just like ride for fun. And I feel like that kind of helped me get back into it. Um, and then with the second collarbone, that one was a race situation. And so somebody like crashed in front of me. I had no option to go anywhere and I crashed. And I still have not raced since that incident. So I don't know how it's gonna really feel like getting back into the race part of it, but it's just all mentally, mentally thinking about the race instead of yourself or your, your injuries, if that makes sense. Yeah, but is it common for um, like injury to happen in BMX? Like, so you said you got super lucky. So, cause it, yeah, like if, if someone crashes in front of you, like you really can't do anything about it. So does that happen a lot where like, so you haven't broken any bones, but have you had like major crashes in races like that? Yeah, for sure. It's super common. Um, I would say like injured injury is like the biggest thing that you are just hoping and praying that doesn't happen. Cause a lot of times it's not in your control at all. And I've had some other like random ones, but I will say that the training that we do at working CrossFit, like they say that I'm a robot because when I crash, like usually I'm totally fine. I just get up from it and I'm like, cool. And I really think that's just how, cause I've taken care of my body. I take care of all the little muscles and ligaments and things that are supporting me. And I feel like when I crash, I crash and I'm a robot and it's nice, <laughs> except for this year, but. And there's like no, there's no fear for you. Like when you go down, you're just like, okay, it's time to get back up. Like how do, how, where does that mindset come from? Like how has that built over the years? Yeah, I think it's just racing from a young age and it's just like the expectation kind of in BMX that like when you crash, like you're tough, you get up and you finish your, you finish your race. Um, even though you're in dead last, like you finish the lap and then, then you figure out what, if your body's okay, what's happening. Um, but I think that's like something super awesome that BMX has taught you. Like you, you are more capable than you think you are. So even if you crash and whatever, get up and finish it and then you can figure it out. Has there ever been a moment that you didn't think that you could get back up or that like when you broke your bones, did you think, oh, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go back to this. Like I'm done. Yeah. And it was really tough being that like, I broke it in March and then I'm broken in September. Like that was a big question mark in my brain, but it's just something that I genuinely love. And I've kind of this year been able to transition more into coaching, which has been super fulfilling. Um, that each race that I go to, it's not just about how I do and how I place. I'm helping all these un younger kids and giving my knowledge of my years of experience and seeing them do well. Um, so I don't think like the, the sport will ever be out of my life, but it will change in probably the next couple of years of how much I'm actually racing. And just as your body gets older, you're not as resilient to these crashes. And it just comes to a point like, is, is the risk worth the reward kind of thing? So what have you learned from this year? Like, what are your kind of like key takeaways from being able to now coach and like be on the other side of it? Yeah, I think um, the number one thing from injury is that I'm just grateful that I can move my body. Um, I never had that re like realization of like, wow, I'm so grateful I can go to the gym. I'm so grateful I can ride my bike. I'm grateful I can go for a walk or whatever it is. Um, so just that piece of like being able to move my body freely is just, I'm so grateful for it. Um, as far as coaching, I really have taken a step into the mental side of coaching with a lot of my girls. Um, and I never realized how much is built from their families and how you're up, like your upbringing. Um, because I was very fortunate through my upbringing, my mom and dad were so positive, always building me up, always doing all these great things that I never realized were special. Um, and now that I'm working with a lot of these girls, I get to know about their home life and their family life and just some of the relationships and stuff that kind of go hand in hand with how they do on the track, um, like outside pressure and just expectation for them to race at a certain level. And so I've really learned 
that I, I'm grateful for how my parents raised me and supported me in sports because not a lot of families have that support um, kind of thing. So I'm just really learning about like the deep downs of why I am who I am, if that makes sense. I never really took a step mm-hmm. back to think like, why do I think like this before the race or why do I do this? So being able to teach other people really made made it turn into me and think about why I am who I am and how I do stuff. Yeah, well, and that's interesting because I feel like a lot of professional athletes at least do have a lot of outside pressure from like family members Mm -hmm. so for you if you weren't getting that pressure from like your parents or your family were you getting it from yourself were you putting like other coaches were there was there any pressure that you were putting on yourself so yeah my parents never put any pressure they like my mom's quote is proud no matter the finish because she knows that I put in the work she knows that I have the dedication so her proud no matter the finish was just kind of like reassuring to me that like I had no other pressure I am on a team and the team does well if I do well there's a points system that kind of goes along with that So I always knew like the pressure I need to do well for my team kind of thing. But I think the healthiest kind of pressure was just putting it on myself. Like I know that I put in the work and I'm sacrificing a lot to be here. So I want to do well for myself and not for anyone else. And I think that kind of gave me like the longevity in the sport because a lot of people, the pressure breaks them and they hate it because it's so like mentally and like physically stressing to have that pressure. Um, but because it came from myself, it just meant more to me to get the win. That, that kind of brought up two questions for me about one, like sacrifice within athletics at this level, like kind of what you have sacrificed. And then also, has there been any time where you've kind of resented the sport a little bit because of how much you've had to give up? Yeah. So BMX is special just because we're traveling so much. Like we are all over the country, all over the world. Um, I would say that we're traveling at least once a month to go to a race and it's all over the US. So the sacrifice of like in high school, for example, I would have to be on top of all my schoolwork and even through college and I'd be gone for like four or five days of school. And so I would be making sure that I'm on top of everything. And it kind of was just kind of sacrificing like the fun times in high school per se because I had to be so dedicated and get my stuff done because it was a privilege to go and travel and do all these things and um, I understood that. Nowadays I feel like the sacrifice is just like I'm not going to go out and drink or go party or do anything because I know my sleep, my recovery, all of that is so important but I feel like in the last couple years I've found that there has to be a happy balance. You can't be just like strict athlete 24-7 it's just mentally not not good for the long run. So what does your like routine, I guess, kind of look like outside of the sport in order to kind of prep you for races? It was during the winter, it's a little bit different just because I literally can't ride because it's snowing outside. But my routine, I go to the gym at Oregon CrossFit five days a week. Sean there gets me prepped to the best of my abilities, like there's no better place to train. And then outside of that, it's just nutrition. That's like one of the biggest things that I feel like has gotten me through my race time. So just making sure I meal prep and stay stay healthy with my food. During the summer, we do have a bunch of pump tracks in Bend and other things to ride. So I definitely utilize those. And then just lots of lots of practice on the track during the weekdays. So for women or younger, we'll say like young women um, trying to maybe like get into a sport or they're thinking of going more competitive within a sport, what advice do you have for them in terms of realizing the sacrifice that it takes to accomplish a sport at this level? I would just say jump in because it's so fun and the risk and reward of doing it like you learn so much about yourself um, and the reward at the end, if you commit to something and you have the dedication and resilience through all of these things, the win at the end is just so much more sweet. And especially like in a, in a setting that you are working for yourself, it's a single sport, like a team sport is awesome and it's fun to like go and win and win together. But when you win for yourself, it's just a whole, whole nother level. Was there like a win for you that kind of felt like, okay, like 
this is all worth it. Like everything I've done, every like all of the hard work, like this win was was worth it for me. Yeah, I would say in 2017, I won the world championship and it was actually in the United States. Usually it's all over the place. Like I've been to Colombia and Belgium traveling for those. But in 2017, the US um, world finals, it I won both of my classes. So you can race two different bikes. And I feel like from 14 and then up to 17, I was just building, building, building. And I feel like that was like the peak level of my fitness and my riding and everything. Um, and it was so cool to win in front of the home country because like the, the stands are packed with people from the US that know you, that are supporting you. Um, and it was kind of that where it was like, dang, I, I made this happen. And like I won the weekend, which was awesome. Yeah, I bet that I bet that's incredible. Yeah. Do you have like Olympic ambitions? What is your goal for the future of your riding? Um, so this year definitely like made me take a look into that, right? The Olympics are next year. And with BMX, the point system really relies on two years prior to the Olympics. So last year and this year. So when I broke my collarbone, I was training on the hill for the Olympics. So that was my my tone for the year was to really race the Supercross Hill and get ready for that so that I could race more races to get Olympic points. But obviously I broke my fingers and my collarbone and then the goal was still there. I knew it was gonna be harder, but then I broke my collarbone again. So it's very unlikely for this coming Olympics for that to happen just cause I have no points in the system. I believe everything happens for a reason. So I'm just taking it one, one strat at a time. But that doesn't say that 2028 is out of the realm. For BMX, the, the top person in our sport right now is 32 and she's on the older spectrum of that. But that doesn't mean that like it's out of the picture. So right now, as of right now, I'm hopeful for next year, but probably not going to happen. But 2028 would be an awesome goal to set. Do you like have any intentions to race anytime soon or when do you because I saw that you said that you were sitting out like the rest of this year or grands I don't know when that is is that now is that next year yeah so Um, the grand nationals is the final for the U.S. and that's over Thanksgiving every single year so we literally like eat Thanksgiving dinner at the track it's it's super special Um, and it's always in Tulsa Oklahoma and this year I decided to not race it. I was cleared to be riding, but I wasn't cleared for impact sport. And so the doctor said, hey, like if you have a chance of crashing, we don't really want you to do it because you can break the plate that's in your collarbone. And it was a hard decision. A lot of BMXers um, have the mindset of just like push through the pain, like racers race, we're gonna do this thing. Um, And it was a really hard decision for me to say, no, I want my body to be fully healed. I don't ever want to take that chance. I'm I'm in it for the longevity of my life. Like, I want to be able to throw a football when I'm 40. I don't want to be in pain all the time. Um, And it was also something to be a role model for all these other little girls that look up to me to be not pushing through the pain and listening to my body and making sure that I'm fully healed before I go and race. So I didn't race the finals in November, but in January, I will be in Phoenix for my first race back. So I'm ramping up. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear about it. Yeah. I bet that can, I feel like that's so hard, especially for athletes. Like I run a lot. And so like, you know, like if you have like a little bit of like a hip pain or like a little bit of a foot pain and like, you just keep pushing through it. So I could see how, like, if you just get back on the track and like you just keep pushing through that pain something that wasn't a big deal could really become a big deal and I feel like that's really important especially in your sport because it's very male dominated so I want to talk to you a little bit about that and like how being a female in a male dominated sport has like affected your mindset within the sport and this idea of like okay we have to be tough and like we have to push through yeah um I don't feel like it really like pushes through like as an overall theme. I obviously know that it's a male dominated sport, but there's so many good females in the sport that really push for female, more females to be in it. So I would say it's not like a tough barrier of any, any sort, but it is something of like, be tough, nitty gritty, like 
whatever. And I feel like a lot of us are realizing that that's just not the way we want to race. And so I, I feel like we're, we're going in the right direction of like females have their voice and we do our thing and we're in the sport together with the guys, but we all have a, a common, common interest in how have you as a coach, like started to get more younger girls involved and like interested in the sport? Yeah, um, there's quite a few of us around the country that we go into a lot of the schools. Um, so for this next coming year in Bend, I'm going to go to all the elementary and middle schools and I'm going to do a presentation. Um, and for myself, it's a great representation because I started when I was five. I went to college for BMX. I'm racing pro now. And you can see that there is an upward trajectory of what you can do through BMX. Um, and so that's a big part of just getting, cause a lot of people don't even know what BMX is. They're like, Oh, do you race yeah. motorcycles? And I'm like, no, I have to paddle, <laughs> I have to paddle the bike. Um, and so just yeah. getting the name of it out there and showing that there are these awesome facilities in a lot of these cities and then they get hooked. It's awesome. What have you experienced because of BMX so like not obviously like your wins and your races but like can you talk to me about like some of the experiences that you've had along the way that you probably wouldn't have had if you if you didn't do BMX um I think the biggest thing is just traveling and seeing the world and like at the young age of 16 I was racing my bike in Belgium and I was like this is crazy like you get to see these different cultures and I was born and raised in Bend small town wasn't didn't really get out very much when I was younger um, and then when we started traveling for BMX I got to see like different cities in the U.S. and going to Belgium and Colombia and just the different the culture shock and all of those things every time that I came home I was grateful for where I lived which I think was a very big perspective change and I feel like I grew a lot as a person just by traveling and having those experiences that were off of the bike yeah well and you were supposed to take a van trip right yeah. or you did take a van trip and then on the van trip you Broke so okay walk <laughs> me through that because you didn't you because I yeah have you always liked traveling um I can't say that I've always loved driving I love traveling okay, and flying yeah. and stuff but driving like I'm one of those people that if I'm in the passenger seat like I'm passed out like not a fan yeah, of yeah. it but I can I'll go through it um but so I graduated college and I had a big decision of, do I go get a corporate job or do I race my bike and continue along this path? And racing my bike was definitely the riskier path because I had to make it up myself. I had to make a living. I had to do all this stuff. And I was really fortunate in college. I, I lived with two other roommates that were older than me and they got some corporate jobs and I could just see that they, they hated their lives working the nine to five on salary, doing that kind of stuff. And I just didn't envision myself ever doing that. And that's just how college pushes you to go get your job, right? So I decided, I moved back home and I was like, you know, I wanna travel, I wanna race bikes. And the best way for that to happen is to coach and then race my bike along the way. So I decided to build out a van and I travel around in the van and I coach the next generation of BMX all over the country. Um, the last trip that I did, it was supposed to be a two month trip all around, um, going as far as Kentucky and then down to California and back up. But when I got to Kentucky, it was a month into the trip, I did break my collarbone. And luckily my mom was actually at that race. She came to support me she flew in to support and uh, the first race I broke the collarbone so she drove me and my van back to Bend and I had surgery the next day so it was oh my it was a great first part of the trip um I got to meet a lot of people and see a lot of places that I normally would just pass on through like we stopped in Yellowstone and got to just explore explore the North Dakota and South Dakota and Minnesota and see the culture, um, which was so cool. So I'm excited to do another van trip, just not breaking my collarbone this time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, how, okay, but like, how's your mindset in that moment of like, okay, like, I broke my collarbone a second time, I just did this whole van renovation, <laughs> I had all of these plans, and like, this is, it's not even that this is like, the thing I'm doing for fun, it's like, this is like, supposed to be my job now, and like, I can't do my job. Yeah. 
it was very tough, I will say, and I'm very glad my mom was there in that situation. She was very grounding and very like, what can we do now to help? And I think the biggest thing was just having the resilience that like, I will overcome it. Like I already overcame it once this year, like I'm gonna make it happen. I think the hardest part was just all the chatter from people that were like, oh my gosh, you broke it again, you broke it again, like what are you gonna do? And just kind of having to filter that out because I was confident myself that I would get through it just like any other time. But there's always that outside chatter that kind of, kind of sets you back a little bit. Guys, if you're enjoying the show, could you do me the biggest favor? Could you spare 90 seconds out of your day? Head over to Apple Music or Spotify. Give us a subscribe. Give us a rating or a review. I would really appreciate it. It not only supports me, but it supports getting awesome guests on the show. Thanks a bunch. Yeah, no, talk to me more about that because like who you let into your life when you're going through challenges is really important and like what you let into your your mind. So like how, especially as like young female athletes too, like you, there's always like someone telling you something, like how have you kind of not let that bother you over the years? Yeah, I really think that so, like surrounding yourself with a core group of people that are supporting you helps that a lot just because if you're getting all of the positive feedback in from your people that you really care about the rest of the stuff doesn't matter right like i know people talk Mm -hmm. and especially in bmx it's a smaller community and so everyone knows who you are um that there is a lot of talk but if your core people are supporting you it kind of lets my brain just let go of the rest of that stuff What about your decision to not do a corporate job and to go into BMX? Like what, what was the talk around that? And like, maybe not even from other people, but like, what were your biggest fears surrounding that? Because a lot of times, like we do, we get through college and like, if you're an athlete, then it's like, okay, like if I haven't made it by the time I'm done with college, then it's like, well, now I have to go do the responsible thing. Cause I had these four years that they're giving me to like, see if it would work. And it, it didn't work like immediately so or like not that it didn't work but you're still like in the process and so it's like how how did you make that decision yeah um I think the biggest scare was just that I wouldn't have anything to fall back on like if I did something it was going to be entrepreneurial set and that meant all the pressure was on me right the really nice thing was when I did move back to Bend, I lived with my mom. And so the pressure of like having to pay for rent and do all of that was kind of off. I do not live on my own, so it's a little different now. But when I graduated, I was coaching like here and there and just to help the other girls and people in the sport. But it really wasn't something that I took like serious as like a business. But now I have a full remote training business that I coach girls from like eight to 17 um, and I am fully like their person. So I write their training programs and we do mental coaching calls. I try to be a a role model in everything I do and help them Um, even to the personal level. They are like my little daughters, like they're like my little family. Um, They feel, I feel like they're comfortable telling me anything and it's just super awesome to have that those connections and like see these girls actually grow and change and just live their live their life the way they want to which is awesome and it's just cool to see them dedicated like these girls that are 14 15 and they're dedicated and they they have a drive they're hungry to win um so it's been super awesome and so i knew that when if i didn't take a corporate job i had to make money somehow And I had to be something that was for sure every month because like when you race, maybe you win, maybe you lose. I didn't, I don't like that variable income or like betting on yourself. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that also put that extra pressure on it. Like when I was in um, my younger stage, I didn't have that pressure and I didn't want my income to rely purely from like, if I win or lose, that pressure probably would have broke me. So by having a training business and being able to support these girls, it gives me an income that I I can rely on and I can also help them and see them grow and strive and do all the do all the things that they want to do. Yeah, well, and I think that's the thing that a lot of people misunderstand when it comes to income is that you're one just because you're trying to make your passion like your career doesn't mean your that has to be your income because mm-hmm. like you found a way to 
like race, but then also like make your passion, your income without it relying on you winning, which like people don't understand sometimes that you can take your passion and like do something separate with it while you like try to climb the winning ladder or like get first place and stuff. Because like you're saying, otherwise that would just cause so much pressure. But were there any times where like, like talk me through building your business while you're like training and trying to win like was that really difficult or was it kind of like a natural progression um I would say that building the business aspect of it was pretty natural so I graduated with a finance and management degree so all the back-end stuff like I understood I knew how to do um but I would say building all the in it like day in day out stuff of like figuring out what platform I want to use and like creating all these workouts and taking everything that's just like in my brain and actually putting it on a computer was probably the hardest process um and I think I not saying that I got lucky but I have always had a really good reputation in the sport just because I care and value people um and I always like have a smile on my face I'm always nice and try to have a good reputation um and having that since 14 really set me up for now um so all of my trainees are word of mouth people that want to get better or I've coached them before in a different setting um so getting a client base wasn't super hard um and I think that it's better that way because these girls want to train. They're not just, their parents aren't just trying to shell out money to make sure that they're training. These girls are dedicated and they want to do it. Um, And so that makes it easier for me. It doesn't feel like I'm ever working. Like I I sit down and I make these programs and I help these girls and I don't ever dread doing it because I love it and I love seeing their growth. Um, So I wouldn't say it was a hard transition. It was just kind of making sure I got all my, ducks in a row and then just kept it rolling what so what does your life look like outside of work and training um just out of curiosity because being an entrepreneur being an athlete like they both require a lot of discipline a lot of sacrifice so yeah what does your life look like like relationship wise friendship wise like do you have a lot of time outside of what you're doing I would say that yes and no it's kind of uh funny when you're an entrepreneur like you don't have a set schedule so you can do whatever you want when you want to do it kind of thing so I make time for friends and just family in general my brother has two kids so I have two nieces that takes up a lot of my time one of them is two months old so we're in the baby phases And so a lot of time is just around family and friends. Um, And then it is kind of hard, like when I'm on the on the road for two months, I'm working for two months. Um, But it is when we travel around for BMX, it's kind of like our whole community just travels to different cities. So like I have a lot of friends in BMX um, and so it doesn't feel like work. You're just hanging out, like racing, training with your buddies and having fun. So I'd say it's probably not as much like friends and family balance as some people, but I, I get it where I can. That sounds like, it still sounds like a good, like healthy balance. Do you, is there anything within your life, like in BMX or something that you don't love? Because I think sometimes from the outside looking in, it feels like you have to love every aspect of what you're doing. Like, oh my God, I love every aspect of BMX. Like there's nothing I would change. I love every aspect of being an entrepreneur. But there is there anything that you're just like, this part of it, like is not, it's not super fun. It's not super glamorous. Like I don't love to do this. Yeah, um, at first, like if you asked me that question when I was like 16, 17, I would say all of the hours traveling, I hated. Like I genuinely was like, I wish these races could be closer or whatever, like you get on a flight and then it gets delayed and then connections are missed and I hated that aspect of it. Um, But now I like the travel. I like getting out and being in new places. Um, I think the thing in BMX that I don't love as much um, and is something that I'm trying to change with my athletes is just the pressure from the parents and the negative talk and the just toxic toxic communication or toxic relationship that goes on between the kid and the parent um and like I said I had never experienced that 
because my family was always supportive. Um, but I see it constantly where parents are yelling at their kids and just expect so much from an eight-year-old that they don't even know what's happening. And so I really hate that negative energy that they they bring upon their kids. But along or everything else in the sport is very family-oriented and nice, but just that extra pressure that these young kids are put under um, I'm trying to alleviate that and kind of be the bridge in between the parents and the kids so that the, the parents, they can talk to me about it and I will relay it on in a better way and help the kids. So that's one of the big things that I don't like in the sport. How do you kind of go about making that change? It's, it's a tough one and it's situation by situation because every family is different and for some of them, I genuinely have to be that person in the middle where the parents don't even talk to the kids about training because it's just they're gonna head, they're gonna butt heads every single time. Um, other times, I feel like I'm coaching the parents more than I'm coaching the kids um, because I have to walk them through why it's important and what their kids are taking from what they're saying. So I think it goes both ways. And then I also am coaching the kids, like say it's a 13, 14 year old girl that's got some sass to her. I have to relate to her that sometimes our responses are fueling the fire that our parents are putting on us, if that makes sense. Um, so I'm kind of coaching both sides or I'm just being that mediary person. Um, and I will always be somebody that will stick up for the kid, even if I don't know the family. Um, if I see it happening at the track, I will take a step in and say, hey, like, that's that's not good for your eight-year-old or whatever it is. So I, I'm not embarrassed by it. I think that it's unfortunate and some people just need their eyes opened a little bit to it. And But where did you develop that confidence, I guess, to, to do that? Like, have you had a coach in the past that kind of influenced that in you? Like, maybe not in that specific area, mm -hmm. but in another area where, like, something wasn't going well and they saw it and they were kind of like, oh, I'm going to step in. Because I, I think a lot of people will just see something happen, know it's not okay, and, like, not do anything about it, but not realize that, like, if you don't say something and the next person doesn't say anything, then nothing's ever going to change. Yeah. I think that it comes from when I was um, really young. Both my parents own their own businesses. And so I was never a kid that like was in like the nursery or had any kind of childcare. I was out with my parents on the job site, at the client, wherever it was. And I was talking to adults at like four years old and having full conversation. So that like fear of like, interjecting or talking to anyone or whatever it is just has like never been there for me because I grew up and had to talk to adults and I just kind of said what I wanted to say um and to a point like when I was like 10 11 I had to learn to have a filter that was a big, <laughs> big thing because I would just say whatever um but I think that really grew into just me knowing knowing myself and being able to interject because I believe that it's not right so I think that was a big point. Yeah, no, I commend you for that. That's like, that's really cool that you're, that you're doing that and you're making those changes in the sport. Kind of like coming towards the end of the conversation, like for people that have passions for, and maybe not even just younger kids, like people our age, they have passions, they want this change in their life. Maybe they want to work for themselves. Maybe they want to get into a sport. Maybe they're like at the beginning of their career, what kind of advice do you have for like anyone stepping into something new that maybe they're scared of stepping into something that like they've always been curious about, but they've always been afraid to do it? Mm -hmm. um, I would say first and foremost, it's just making sure that you're doing it for you. Um, and that's been a very big theme that a lot of people that are in the sport and or doing whatever in their lives and they're failing at it or they don't want to do the work, it's because they're not doing it for them. They're doing it from an out, outside pressure. Um, and that was a big thing of me, like not going and getting a corporate job. I was doing it for me because I knew what I wanted and that wasn't a part of my vision or plan. And then the second thing is just having discipline, like discipline, not only in that sport or that job or whatever you're doing, but discipline in your life to yourself. Um, even if it's just like, I'm going to wake up at 7 a.m. every day or whatever it is. Having those little disciplines for yourself are going to translate into your training or your work or whatever because you held yourself to that standard. 
Um, and then it just relates into, yeah, okay, I'm gonna hold myself to that standard when I go to the gym or when I'm eating this or whatever it is. Do you think that people can learn discipline? Because I know, I mean, like, you've been an athlete since you were a child. So for you, I feel like discipline might be not easier, but like, it's just been in your life for a lot longer. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, what if someone is like, just getting into something and they don't know how to become disciplined? So I will say that like discipline, I've always had to have it, right? But this year really made me learn about that because I was broken and I didn't have much to do throughout the day. I would find myself doing stuff that was not productive. Um, and that discipline kind of like went out the window because I wasn't training for something. I wasn't striving for something. Um, and I think that discipline can be learned and it's all just setting that standard for yourself, right? And I think it starts with those little things, just like I'm gonna drink my water today. Like I'm setting the discipline for myself. It doesn't have to be something massive. Um, and I think that doing it in a setting that is not maybe your main focus. So for me, like BMX, I would take it and make discipline somewhere else in my life to translate over to BMX. Because when you do have that big goal or whatever, it's hard to have that discipline because it's so big, right? Um, but yeah, I think this year really taught me that like you can learn it and that the discipline is so important because if you don't have discipline or a goal, you are going nowhere kind of thing. Are you, do you have a hard time like sitting still and relaxing? Are you like that type of person that like can't like slow down? Yes. I would say like I can I can hang out and um, relax once my stuff's done or if my stuff's planned out like my plan if my if it's in my planner then I'm good and it's off my brain but if there's something that I need to do then I will do it and I like staying busy um, and that was a tough thing like for this collarbone they were like okay so you need to do nothing for the next three weeks. I was like, okay, I don't like doing nothing. That's terrible. So I literally like walked to the mailbox like four times a day just to walk. I was like, I'm just going to check it off my list that I'm going to walk to the mailbox. Um, you know, there's no more mail because I've already checked it three times. But um, yeah, I, those three weeks were pretty brutal. What did you do? Like besides walk to the mailbox? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I did, I was able to really work on my online platform and build a lot of training programs and stuff like that. And I got into sourdough making and just doing some random stuff around the house. Um, and I also made a YouTube video. I made sure I set myself up. So I took a bunch of videos and was able to edit stuff. Um, so just kind of going into other stuff that I could feel productive and like feel like I got something out of the day instead of sitting there for the whole day <laughs> well yeah good for you because most people would not would not do that so um that's just that's pretty incredible though it's always nice to hear like kind of what your like not you specifically but anyone in this position like their routine and like kind of what they do behind the scenes because you know social media is a really hard thing it's something I really struggle with is because like it's just like you see the highlights and even if like because I know you posted that photo of like your broken arm I saw that um and like I think like even though you post stuff like that still sometimes it's hard to like get to the behind the scenes of like what it actually takes what it actually means what your life actually looks like mm -hmm. not posted on social media yeah, and I think BMX is even worse about that because everybody is constantly only posting good stuff and that's what I try to relate to my girls is that people fail constantly and life is not what it looks like on social media. There are people when they post a video of them riding, they probably messed that up like five times, six times. And then the video they showed you is the one perfect one that they got. Right. And a lot of the girls in the sport, they're scared to do skills and scared to put themselves out there because they don't want to be um, embarrassed that they failed. And I try to relate to that a lot. And that's why I do post like when I crash or when I'm doing these things, because I, I just want my page to be genuine. I don't want it to be hidden or secret. Some people um, only like to post the good things of when they're winning and stuff because they think it helps them mentally. Um, but I just want to be transparent. And that's, that's what I think is important to have the good and bad 
um, through social media. Yeah, and how is that, like, for younger girls where, like, social media has been a lot more present in their life, Do you how do you see that, I guess, like, in young athletes compared to when we were younger? Yeah, I think it's just so much information, right? Like, when, we were, when I was going to races or in high school or whatever, like, Instagram was used, but it really wasn't, like, it wasn't a big thing. thing. Um, and now I feel like it's almost up the ante for everybody in their training and them doing stuff off of the bike. Because before, like people maybe were doing it here and there, but with social media, parents are constantly posting about the kids' training and what they're doing day in, day out. And it kind of, for some of my athletes, gives them a little extra pressure, um, which could be a good thing or a bad thing. Hopefully it's good that they're doing their training. Um, but it's just so much information that it, it makes them more nervous, I feel like, um, the younger kids. And it just, it's such a, it's such a big thing that I try to get them just to not even worry about. Um, and there's a whole nother pressure from BMX. We are all on teams and all of our teams are expecting us to post things and be very professional where I feel like a 12 year old, it's hard for them to wrap their brain around being professional on social media and posting all of these things. Um, so they almost have to grow up fast because they don't have like just a normal Instagram page. It's more of a business page because they're representing their sponsors and they're representing, um, everything behind that. Yeah. Well, and do you think that like, does, for sponsorships and stuff like that, do, does failure, like, do people not want to fail because they're afraid of that, like, losing their sponsors or something? There is a level of that, and it depends on what team you're on. For me, it doesn't really matter as long as I'm holding a good reputation and helping the kids. Um, winning is always great, but for a lot of the kids, so they race on a team and they put in what is called a team sheet. So they have the six best riders on their team and they submit that against the rest of the teams. And then the winner gets money. So they want to win their team sheet. Um, and so they're, the kids are expected to do well. If the kid doesn't do well for a good couple races, half a year, whole year, they could get kicked off their team. That just depends on the relationship with the people. Um, I was very fortunate that my team, they cared about winning, but they were family first. Like you were a part of the family, not just there to win. Um, and I think that's what made our team win in general overall was because that pressure wasn't really there. It was more of, we're a family, we're here to support we are proud no matter the finish, right? So I think just making sure that you have the right sponsors and the people that are truly backing you because they want to is super important. Yeah, well, I guess that just goes to say too of like, just don't say yes to anything. Say yes to the things that like feel good for you and feel aligned with like where you want to go in the sport because you can also get attached to the wrong yeah. wrong brands, and like the wrong people. So that's like a slippery slope as yeah, well. for sure. Um. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I loved learning more about you. It's crazy because, like, I know we grew up together, but I really, I didn't know this about you. <laughs> yeah, for so. sure. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And that's a wrap on today's Dose of Confidence. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. If you found inspiration here, why not share it with a friend? Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and sign up for our newsletter so you don't miss an episode. Sending lots of love your way. Until next time, this is Becca encouraging you to live your boldest life.